Good afternoon and welcome to the Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversation with Scientists. I'm your host, Raina Andrews. And for those of you tuning in for the first time, let me introduce myself. I'm a mother, a children's book author, a public health advocate, and an engaged community member. I'm your host for the 2023 season of Coffee Conversations with Scientists. Coffee Conversations is brought to you by the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment, which is a statewide nonprofit working to improve health and advance the health equity in Wisconsin. Since early in 2021, we have been sharing the science behind today's most important health topics. Now today, I'm joined by Dr. Charles Rogers, who's the Associate Professor of Epidemiology and Social Science and the Institute for Health and Equity at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and a Research Scholar Endowed Chair of MCW's Cancer Center. On today's show, we're talking colorectal cancer. Changes in the gut bi microbiome may be influencing increasing rates of colorectal cancer in adults under age 50. This is new. You know, studies have shown that diet, obesity, exercise, and some drugs such as antibiotics can all change the number and types of bacteria in our gut. So today we will be discussing the importance of early detection for colorectal cancer, as well as why colorectal cancer is slated to be the deadliest cancer among adults under age 50 by 2030. So welcome Dr. Rogers. Good afternoon, thanks so much for having me. Yes, yes. Well, today folks, we will be covering a great list of questions regarding the effects um, colorectal cancer has on the body, how it, how you get it, and why you need early detection. So we'll try to get to as many questions as possible, and towards the end, we'll open it up to engage our audience. So if you have any questions, be sure to drop them in the chat, and we'll try to get to as many as possible today. So let's get started. So Dr. Rogers, some people may have heard of colorectal cancer, but can you provide an overview of what colorectal cancer really is in its prevalence and why it is so important for people to be aware of this disease? Yeah, fantastic, fantastic question. So um, as you, you can think about how it's how it's uh, referenced, colorectal cancer, I mean, it's yeah. cancer that starts in the colon or the rectum. Um, what's important for everyone to know today joining us is that if you have a colon, you can get colon cancer. It's no longer an old person disease or an old white person disease. Colorectal cancer does not discriminate. Um, and it's actually very, very prevalent. Um, it's so prevalent. It's so prevalent that the projections currently exist that um, by 2030, um, individuals ages 20 to 49, um, colorectal cancer is expected to be the leading cancer killer by 2030. Um, and so this issue has been on the rise among young people at about two to three percent um, since the mid 90s. Um, so it's again a big problem. Uh, you know, historically, it's been most prevalent among African American men are non-Hispanic Black men, um, they have had the highest rates for over 30 years, and it wasn't until this year that now American Indians, Alaska Native, have the highest rates of not only being diagnosed, but dying from colorectal cancer, or CRC. Oh, wow. So what are the primary risk factors for colorectal cancer? Before I go there, let's cue a slide so we can help some learners see these disparities that I'm trying to reference. Yes, awesome. So if you look at the table on the left, um, we have the, the incidence rates. And so this is looking at the number of individuals who are being diagnosed with, with colorectal cancer. And then on the right is a graph that, part of the same graph that shows you the, the mortality rates or people that are dying. And so if you look at the very bottom legend, you can see that black is all race and ethnicities, purple is American Indian and Alaska Native, blue is non-Hispanic blacks, pink is non-Hispanic whites, orange is Hispanics, 
um, and, and, and so on. And so if you see here, if we look at the instance or the, the tabs that are on the left, you can see this purple bar is the highest for American Indian Alaska Native men and women. So that shows you that this population, as I mentioned previously, have the highest chances of being diagnosed from um, CRC compared to their male and female counterparts of other racial ethnic groups. And you can see a similar trend on the right side for mortality as well. Um, uh, uh, and uh, I'd also like to note, as you can see here, that as of this year, American Indian Alaska Natives, um, men specifically, have the highest chances of being diagnosed with CRC on the left and dying from it on the right compared to everybody, males and females. So how is the American Indian Alaskan Natives are now surpassing African-Americans? Um, so I, I think it has a lot to do with we're being more intentional about the data that we're collecting. Um, in some states like Minnesota, they've been able to provide these numbers in terms of this disparities with screening for, uh, for so quite some time. And so the screening may be increasing in these populations, which could be an increase in the incidence. But I would argue that the potential mortality rates are increasing because these these diagnoses are being more are being called at a more advanced stage. And so it's important for our listeners to know that if you catch um, colorectal cancer early and catch, I mean, uh, through screening, um, you know, if it's diagnosed at stage zero or one, a person has more than a 90 percent chance of surviving versus if it's stage four or the most advanced stage, less than 15 percent. Um, so that would be one hypothesis. Another thing potentially too is the things that we potentially talk about a day to increase your risk for colorectal cancer. Um, these are maybe some behaviors that are, are more dominant in the culture of American Indians, as native, um, simply because that's just what they do every day. So let's talk about some of those behaviors and lifestyles. What are some of the primary risk factors for colorectal cancer? Yeah, so some of the risk factors that um, increase your risk for colorectal cancer or CRC are smoking. And so if you even think about the the rituals that American Indian last native had, like smoking is a big part of their culture. Um, so that's what I meant earlier about that reference. Um, not much consumption or eating in terms of fruit, vegetables, and fiber, being over, overweight or obese, uh, lack of physical activity and exercise, um, heavy consumption of alcohol, um, diabetes, a diet that's high in red meat, such as beef, pork, or lamb, um, as well as processed meats and fats, um, preparing your meat, uh, often in terms of grilling it, broiling it, frying it, or other methods at very high temperatures. And of course, a personal or family history of colorectal cancer or polyps. That's interesting, grilling it, broiling it, frying it. I'm thinking about all the summer cookouts. So grilling your food, like barbecuing your food could put you at risk? Yep, yep. There's been uh, quite a bit of research showing that the, the char that's coming from the grilling at the high temperatures is what's potentially having... Um, cancer agents inside of it. And so, you know, it's, with anything, it's important that we focus on doing things in moderation. So those cookouts here and there, that's fine. But I know I haven't personally purchased a Traeger because I was like, man, if I have a Traeger, I'm grilling, right. smoking, it up all the time. smoking every week, multiple times <laughs> a week. Right, right. So people who, who, who do have the lifestyle of smoking, they're obese, they're drinking, um, they grill out all the time. What are some of the symptoms that they should look for that would say, hey, I, maybe I need to get che checked out? That's a great that's a great question. So some symptoms um, that you may think you want considering seeing your doctor is you had um, blood in your stool. If your stool is like the size of a pen or a pencil, um, you know, frequent gas pains, bloating, always feel like you're full or having abdominal cramps, um, weight loss for no reason. Like if you haven't been in the gym or you're not eating better and you're just losing weight, that's your body trying to tell you, hey, something may be wrong. Um, feeling that you need to have a bowel movement, but you can't actually get it done. Um, 
a change, you know, all of a sudden changing your bowel habits, such as diarrhea or constipation that lasts more than a few days, um, unexpected weakness or fatigue, and last but not least, Arena, no symptoms. Oh, wow. Right. So let's talk about screening. It's alarming to think that those under, because we used to think it was an old person's disease, and now by 2030, it will be the number one killer for those, cancer killer for those under the age of 30. Can you share just you know, for those who know nothing about colorectal cancer, didn't think that they need to be thinking about it. What are some screening, um, one, why is screening so crucial? And, and two, what are the recommended screening methods? And like, when should people start considering them? Oh, great. That's great. That's great. So multiple answers that I want to share. So simply put, CRC and people under the previous recommended screening age of 50. So for everyone on, it's important to know that 45 is a new 50, 45 is now the recommended screening age for colorectal cancer by the United States Museum of Service Task Force. But in terms of people under the previous screening age of 50, it's often misdiagnosed as like IBD, which is often resulting in delayed treatment in a more um, advanced stage. Um, when we think about screening, we, you know, most of us only hear about the colonoscopy, which is fantastic because you actually can um, get polyps removed before they potentially uh, turn to cancer, which is why we like to say that colorectal cancer is preventable, beatable, and treatable with early detection screening. But there are there are definitely other options available, you know, such as ho at home tests. And so there's three types of safe and simple stool-based exams that you can take in the privacy of your own home. These include the FIT, you have to take this annually, um, the GFOBT, which is annually as well as and, and stool DNA testing, like our ColorGuard, uh, for instance, this is like every three years. Um, since most of these have roughly a 91 to 99.8% accuracy rate, accuracy rate, I say that the best one, and some of my colleagues would agree to you, the best one is the screening. Breast screening is the one that gets done. So, you know, with these stool-based pieces, it's, you know, given their safety, they're simple, they're low cost, and there's not minimal discomfort, it's a definitely a viable alternative screening for patients at increased risk for CRC, such as younger people, um, especially also, you know, I look a lot of work with men you know, and they tend to be adverse to colonoscopy. So this may be another better option for them as well. Got it. You, did you mention that um, some people mis, misdiagnose this as irritable, irritable bowel syndrome? Correct, correct. I, I know several young people, young meaning younger than 45, who have, I know I have a, I have a colleague in Florida. Um, she had to go see 20 providers before she found one that was willing to listen to her story. And by then she had advanced colorectal cancer. And so unfortunately, this is a story for a lot of people. And so at the end of the day, people have to realize that you're your biggest advocate. Your body is like a car. Like if your car gives you the warrant to, to check engine light comes on, you probably should go see what that is for. And so your body tries to warn you too. And then we think about the healthcare system. Um, you can choose who your provider is. Like you don't have to stick to that one person. If this one person is listening to you, then try another because it literally could save your life. Wow. So what I'm taking from this, Dr. Rogers, is that colorectal cancer is growing rapidly and, and can, can easily be seen by 2030 as the number one cancer killer. And the worst thing is, is that it's preventable. And a lot of this is driven by our lifestyle. Can you talk about the role that diet nutrition plays in colorectal cancer prevention? Oh, yes. Yes, I definitely can. So um, our diet and lifestyle is, is, is ridiculously huge um, because some things that it, that can reduce your risk of colorectal, developing colorectal cancer is as I, as I mentioned earlier, is not smoking, not trying to not be obese, reducing that excess body fat, um, you know, not trying to have an unhealthy diet, um, being physically active, um, less TV time. Um, we like to say that sitting is a new smoking, um, but yet the verdict is still out as individuals who don't have any of these risk factors are still getting um, colorectal cancer. 
Um, so if we think about uh, some of the things that people can do every day, again, to 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 do better is, again, the opposite of the things I mentioned at the top of this call. Mm -hmm. Like the smoking, obesity, sediment lifestyle, alcohol. Right, well, right. You, you know, we often like to say what not to do. And as we're talking about food, are there certain foods that maybe you shouldn't eat, like maybe like processed meat or red meat? Yes, yes, you should definitely eat less processed meat. Uh, me growing up in the rural South, um, as uh, you know, essentially poor, um, that's what we could afford. Like so, like hot dogs and or bologna, where you cut the X in the middle and make sure that it cooks right. Um, in the Midwest, <laughs> sure I think people, up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like I mean, the Midwest, I think people eat spam, um, which is where I'm from. It's a more expensive version of treat treat yeah. meat which again is all all processed foods and so again you know those things are fantastic in moderation but doing those things every day add up and even just um frying stuff in the south where i'm from frying every, and then you know we have some stuff at the fair you'll see several things that increase your risk of color against because they're frying everything everything's on the stick fried oreos yeah. fried anything um fried snickers you know, fried twinkies yeah exactly exactly but unfortunately for some people that's a lifestyle they have to live where they're eating fried stuff multiple times a week and that's not okay so low sugar, low fat, high fiber. Yes. Are those, okay. Those are things we want to encourage. Those are good. Those are good. Mm -hmm. So tell me, how does your family history impact col colorectal cancer? Because, you know, I'm thinking, um, I'm also from the South. I'm from Houston, by the way, in New Orleans. And her health history wasn't something that our family really talked about. Like maybe she has the diabetes or we call it the, the sugar diabetes. And, and it's like talking about your health history is really taboo until such and such passes from it. So can you talk about the importance in sharing your family history and how family history can impact your likelihood of getting colorectal cancer? Um, sure can. And I want to make sure that I tie this question to the previous piece about lifestyle. And so um, a, a local leader in the community here, she once said that DNA loads the gun, but lifestyle pulls the trigger. Ooh, and so every true. day we're literally like walking around as ticking time bombs if we don't know our history by what we do to our body, whether it's what we're eating, how we're being physically active, it's going to set off something based on our family history. And so what I mean by that is for me personally, you know, I'm impacted by coronary cancer because my aunt was diagnosed at 52 stage four, um, you know, several, several years ago. And so because I know that I can be more aware of the things we already talked about that can help reduce my risk, but I also can get ahead of terms of actually getting screening. Um, because in, even in regards to screening, um, you know, if you have some potential symptoms, you should definitely advocate to your provider about getting screened, you know, whether it's a colonoscopy or one of these stool bases as I shared earlier, but you also can advocate getting earlier screening based on family history. So the thing is, if you have a family history of colorectal cancer, you should get screened 10 years before the individual in your family was diagnosed. So with my aunt, she was diagnosed at 52, so I can advocate in 40, at 42 instead of this new age of 45. But, you know, me personally, because I know so much about the landscape and how we mentioned earlier that it's really a big problem on younger people, I'm mm -hmm. sure I'll be getting it screened soon and I'm only 40 years old. Um, but, you know, with this family history piece, I think it's important for listeners to know that family secrets kill generations. And so what I mean by that is by is when, because I know where I'm from in, in rural North Carolina with Black people, we don't like to tell what's really happening while people are sick. And so, you know, like my aunt guys, he supposedly passed away from some brain aneurysm, but you could just see when it got near the end that how you see her body responding, there's no way she had a brain aneurysm, you know, that was a, the ultimate cause of why she, you know, succumbed to death. Um, and so, you know, again, by 
keeping secrets from your family. Like my aunt never told us that um, that she had colorectal cancer. There's a high probability of my her first cousin, which is her daughter, dying early because she would have be, get diagnosed and would wait till the recommended screening age to get screened instead of earlier because her mom had it. You see what I'm saying? Yes, yes, yes. And like you said in some of your earlier points, the longer you wait and the more the disease advances, the shorter life expectancy you'll have. Exactly. Because like if you even just go back in time a little bit to when Chadwick Boseman passed away, you know, better known for his role in the Black Panther, you know, um, like a whole thing of how it was announced, that's a whole nother conversation. But with Chadwick, you know, he passed away at an advanced stage when he was 43 or 42 mm -hmm. or so. Like he didn't just wake up and he had it. It was diagnosed like three or four years before that. Um, um, and so, but, you know, that wasn't necessarily on his radar because it wasn't, you know, something that's recommended by providers to get screened that young. You know, I, I think I think giving the example of your aunt is a great example of how we should just just like around Thanksgiving and Christmas, as we talk about everything else and getting everybody's business, we need to talk about our our health history. And I, I, I love the point that you made that DNA loads the gun, but lifestyle pulls the trigger. That's so powerful. I, I'm I'm curious to know as we talk about um, the age for colorectal cancer getting younger and younger to test um, as a pre preventative measure measure. What has truly contributed to the changing landscape of colorectal cancer screening guidelines? Yeah, it's a great question. So we can pull up slide two. Uh, so this is some work that I published in American General Cancer Research in, um, in 2020. And, um, and so what we did is we tried to find these hot spots of death for early onset colorectal cancer, early onset being colorectal cancer diagnosed before age 50. And this, with this sample here, we actually were looking at individuals ages 15 to 49 across the country, specifically men. And so you'll see here that um, these hot spots are areas across the country where CRC is on the rise and killing men at very, very high rates. And so that's what these red clusters are. And so you can see with this analysis that um, we found most of the new diagnoses were occurring in the lower Mississippi Delta area, Eastern Texas included, West Central Appalachia area, as well as the Eastern Virginia, um, North um, Carolina um, border. Um, we observed that roughly 14% of all U.S. adults are current smokers, but 24% of adult population residing in these hotspot counties reported, you know, smoking and having smoked at least 100 cigarettes in their lifetime. And we know that smoking is a risk factor for uh, CRC. Um, but unfortunately, with this rise of early onset, which is what has been really, really contributing to the landscape changing, again, it's been on the rise at about 2-3% since the mid-90s. It's like this black box where you know, myself and many other researchers don't know why it's, why it's happening. Um, you know, some people have found smoking like ourselves has been a potential contributor. The obesity pandemic I mentioned earlier, sitting is a new smoking, could, which could be contributing to, you know, higher obesity rates as well. Um, the consumption of high fructose corn syrup, which we uh, usually consume through sodas and other, other and many other um, processed items. But I also know several people who um, have been diagnosed at advanced stages who are younger, who haven't had any of these potential things to increase their risk you know, are, are running marathons in the best shape of their life and then several months later being um, diagnosed with advanced colorectal cancer. Um, so again, in, in brief, we do not know, but we're, we, but several of us around the country and world actually are trying to do something about it. But I also would like to note before we leave this slide is that if you look at um, South Carolina, um, mm -hmm. Anderson, South Carolina is actually where, it's one of the hotspots we found and that's actually where Chadwick Boseman was born. Um, so, you know, maybe there's something happened there environmentally where he grew up, yeah. that it just passed, you know, followed him over time. 
Um, you know, that's something we can't necessarily determine, but that's just something worth that's interesting to try to figure out. This is so interesting. And I and and thank you for showing this map because it seems like the environment, your your family history, your DNA, and lifestyle are huge contributors. There's no one thing that can answer why you get colorectal cancer, but it's important to live the most healthiest and balanced lifestyle possible with between your what you eat, your movement and overall lifestyle, your sleep, how much water you consume, all the things that we know and that are, aren't as easy to do, but they're easy enough to do if it means saving your life. Um, and so thank you for sharing this map. And as we talk about diet now, and we talked about all the fried things at State Fair. Now, I, I, I know you and your team were at State Fair earlier this month. So can you tell us why you were there and why is the focus predominantly on men? Yeah, so over over 10 years ago, um, I was doing capacity building efforts in um in Kenya where we would have a free community fair from like nine to five. People would have to walk on dirt roads far away to go to it. And by doing so, because it was free and it was like really could save people's lives, we saw a thousand people in that workday. And so I was like, okay, how can I reach more people in a um creative way? And that's when I thought about the fair. So the Minnesota State Fair, which we'll be returning to this year as well next weekend, is the second largest in the country next to Texas. Um, and so millions of people go to the fair, like like regardless of circuit economic status, people go um, rain, sleet or snow, people go. Um, and I thought about, you know, at a fair, people like to win stuff, but people also more likely, more importantly, like to interact with stuff. And so that's when I thought about having the super colon. Uh, that's what I always call it, hashtag super colon. That's when we thought about having the super colon there, which is in, it's very popular now, but back then people weren't using them like they do now. But it's large as inflatable exhibit of a colon, and that shows you what a colon looks like once it's healthy, once it starts developing polyps, and the polyps turn into malignant polyps, which can turn into colorectal cancer and then advanced colorectal cancer. Phenomenal. And so when we did that, and we were focusing on just specifically black men, you know, because of those disparities I mentioned earlier, and most of my work has started in the, in the space among CRC among black men. We had over 24,600 people that went through their inflatable colon or super colon in like seven days. And so I was mm -hmm. like, and I saw it change men's perspectives. I mean, we had this um, white male that entered it. Um, so as he got through, he came up to me and he said, thank you so much for, for doing this, doctor. Because of this exhibit, I'm going to go schedule my screening this week. And his wow. his partner was like, hit him in, in the shoulder and was like, I've been on this you for years and months to get this done. And you, you had to come and see me. a blow up. Yeah, you had to come to see this blow up, to do something about it. And so after that, several, you know, for several years, people would contact my previous employer and was like, okay, when is Dr. Rogers coming back with the colon? And I was like, yeah, if I could go back, I would actually see how this intervenes on, you know, the role of masculinity in terms of keeping, keeping men from getting screened for colorectal cancer, as well as their knowledge of what they know about CRC. Uh, and so COVID came and said, no, you're not doing anything with many people. Uh, then COVID got a little better and it got to the point where it's like, if we wanted people to walk through this exhibit, we would have to clean the inflatable colon every single time. So I said, no, it's not time yet. And so we fast forward to now and we were at the Wisconsin Fair the last weekend, which is the most busiest weekend. You know, thousands of people walked through the exhibit. We were able to give um, life-saving information from the American Cancer Society about colorectal cancer screening to, th you know, to thousands of individuals as well. And over 400 men participated in this intervention that I, you know, just described. Um, and so at the end of the day, we're just, um, you know, me and my teams are really just out here trying to make a difference in terms of saving lives and changing the narrative that people really realize that colorectal cancer really is a disease that no one has to die from. I mean, and I hear that loud and clear just from talking to you today that 
colorectal cancer is a treatable and beatable disease that no one must die from. And I'm wondering, you know, you're doing this at State Fair, but everyone on the line listening and everyone who, who will listen to this recording, like how can we as individuals and community members really raise awareness about colorectal cancer, promote screenings and really support the ongoing research that's being done? Um, great question. So some of the things that you already somewhat indirectly and or directly recommended, it has become conversation with our families. Um, just like we talk to, you know, some people talk to their kids about, you know, sex safety, sexual education awareness. I think, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's when colorectal cancer should be discussed as well, because it's, again, impacting younger people. Um, just like some Black people may have to talk to their sons about police, you know, being safe from cops. Colorectal cancer should be one of those key conversations. I guess the biggest thing is my colleague, Brooks Bell, likes to say is we have to make colorectal cancer famous. It shouldn't just become famous or a hot topic when someone famous passes away from it. It needs to be something that we talk about all the time. And so if we even cue this um, last slide that I have, this is a campaign that I currently have going on here in Wisconsin as well um, as um, in Utah. And so, you know, this is, my, this is my own efforts to try to increase awareness. And so you'll see this image here on social media, if you're in the younger age groups and you actually have some risk factors that are increasing to your risk for CRC that you might not even think about before today, um, it's, tar it's targeting you. It's targeting areas across the state where a lot of people are dying from colorectal cancer um, and also being diagnosed with it and they probably don't even know it. Um, it's on, you know, it's through billboards. Um, it's um, When I was even at the fair, I went somewhere to get some cash and it was at a liquor store outside on the front because that was an another area that was hot in yeah. terms of being a spot for a lot of people being diagnosed and dying from colorectal cancer. So again, in brief, really making it famous and by not only sharing with our families, but increasing awareness of it. So hopefully you learned quite a bit today. And so if you did, whatever you took away from it, share it with someone else, it could literally save, save their life. And on top of that, um, really, again, driving home that it's preventable, beatable, and treatable, like sharing it with those males in your family that are usually uh, a little reluctant to get it done. Like, do you let them know that this actually could allow you to be here for my my grandchild's birthday or my daughter's quinceanera? Like, those are all things that could really potentially motivate them uh, to do it because you really want them to be around for longer than they may potentially plan on it. Because colorectal cancer, again, it doesn't discriminate. Awesome. Well, you you have so much knowledge, and offline, I just want to say. You know, you're so young, but you have so many years of experience and you talk about this across the country and preparing for this. There are a number of recordings um, and interviews that you've done over the years about colorectal cancer and, the, and, the, and your research and the importance of early detection. And um, is there a website that people can go to to learn more about the movement and where they can get some information? Yeah. So like you can see on the screen, you can go to CRRogersPhD.com and you can see um Quite a big that work that my my teams and I have been doing for several years. We've done work with Somalis. Um, I've done some work with truck drivers, long haul truck drivers, because you can imagine that they have several factors that increase yeah. for risk for CRC. That's not necessarily on the website, but if you just yeah. type in PubMed in my name, it'll come up. Um, for you know for yeah. download for, for for free. But again, CRRPhD.com can share everything that we talked about today, as well as other work that I'm involved with. Nice. If we can drop a link in the Facebook chat, that would be great. Well, the beauty of us being um, live stream, Dr. Rogers, that we have some quite quite a few chatty chatty folks in the in the inbox here. So let me let me pull up a couple of our questions. So the first okay. question is: Can you list the home test again, and how much do they cost? Yeah. So so um, the one you're probably most familiar with is. Uh, 
color guard. That's the that's a little box you see on TV with the hands that be talking. I think there was even a uh, uh, Saturday Night Live skit about it uh, a few months ago or so as well. So that one can be a little pricey if you don't have health insurance. I feel like it's maybe uh, as high as high as like five hundred dollars. But some of these other stool based exams, like a FIT, F-I-T, which stands for a fecal chemical test, it can be as low as like $30. Um, and, and that's and that's not even with, with insurance covering it. And so those ones that I would recommend, um, you know, would like the moat that I do have a working relationship with Guard, but you can see that I'm not being biased with my comments that I'm being making here. Because um, again, at the end of the day, the best screening is the one that, that, that gets done. Um, so I would recommend a, a fit test because it's you know it's less expensive and it's still is just as accurate as um colagar. It's just something that you have to do annually versus colagar because it actually looks at DNA in your stool as well, just not just blood. You have to get that like every three years. Uh, another question is: Does having ulcerative colitis increase or have any effect on someone's risk of colon cancer? I don't know that right offhand. I definitely want to go to Google and see if it's a yes or no. And I feel like that's a I feel like that's a Google question and it'll tell you right then. Um, because I do not know the exact answer right off the hand. So if you want me to Google it, I can't. Um I think a person would probably Google sure. it. That was a good tip because we have a couple other questions that we can get to in like maybe the next three minutes. The the next question is what is the percentage of colorectal cancer returning to someone in remission? Yes. So again, it all depends on that stage. And so what I mentioned earlier about uh, stage four, a person has less than a 15% chance of survival. That means that if you were called at stage four, in theory, there's um, a fit, there's a there's there's an 85% chance of it returning. But because we've made so many, so many advances in science, that thankfully doesn't hold as true as it as it can. Um, I know several individuals that are stage three to stage four diagnosed young that are still here today. Um, and it just it just depends on our body, how our bodies are made up, as well as like once once the, once we get that warning from our body that like we have cancer, what are we doing to actually change the narrative? So like with my aunt, she she fought through the disease for like eight years. But when she got it, her daughter really challenged her to change her lifestyle. You know, and so like she, you yeah. know, she cut back on what she was eating that was increasing the risk that we mentioned earlier. She got more physically active. Um, she um, cut back on on on, on smoking. Um, like you know, like all these different things help you live longer. And so, for instance, several years ago, and I'm pretty sure it's still pretty similar, pretty accurate. Research shows that if you were physically active, doing what's recommended, it could reduce your chances of colorectal cancer coming back by fifty percent. So it's like wow. So the things that we do that can help you, that can decrease your risk, it also can decrease your reoccurrence too. And so, but for some people, they don't realize that cancer can be a word and not a, a sentence, a death sentence. Mm -hmm. um, and so by and so as a result, they just check out and say like, oh, cancer's here, that's it for me. And they don't change their behaviors. But when you actually change your mindset to actually realize that like, oh no, this, it's, it's just a word, it's not a death sentence, you can literally be here for a long time because that's how much progress we've made on science so hopefully that is a a thorough but a concise answer to the, the individual's question got it you know the, i i want to go back because this person asked the question for a reason does um having ulcerative colitis um increase or have any effect on someone's risk of colon cancer i couldn't help myself by googling it really quickly and it says that patients have six times greater risk of developing colorectal cancer than those of average risk what is, I wonder, what is ulcerative colitis? 
as I'm as I'm looking like you. Also to colitis, something definitely that happens in the stomach. So it's usually on the innermost line of the large intestine or, or the colon and the rectum. And um, yep, symptoms include rectal bleeding, bloody diarrhea, abnormal cramps, pain, which are all things that I that I mentioned earlier. But it's mm -hmm. basically an inflammatory bowel disease. It's basically IBD. It's just it's it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's exactly a type of it's a, okay. it's, a, it's a it's a type of IBD that causes inflammation in ulcers or sores in your stomach. Oh wow. Okay. And the last question here, um, dealing with the statistics that you showed, I believe on the first slide, you discussed the high incidence among African-American men. Are there any novel ways to get the message across about the importance of healthy lifestyles and early screening to this population? Oh, man. Uh, some things I've done myself with my teams is, you know, we've, you know, we've, we've raised awareness through barbershops, through churches. Um, before COVID, we did a whole, we just do all kinds of things because we had to think about it. So like you would see me speaking about this at bars before on Super Bowl Sunday before the game. Mm -hmm. Um at, at like how at house parties before the game on Super Bowl Sundays. Um I have some colleagues in Chicago who have been doing something with screening madness around March Madness month, March Madness in terms of the the playoffs for the for the NCAA, I think. Mm -hmm. But I think you know what I'm saying, like college basketball, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. uh, you know, tying that. Um uh, the biggest thing is just getting the word out and like meeting people where they are as, as much as possible. And so even the things that you've heard me say today in terms of like, you know, random shouting out the fair, thanks for that. Um, the barbershops, um, this awareness campaign that I just mentioned, um, getting the word out to people in, in many ways as possible is key. So even like things like this um, is a free opportunity for people to just tune in real quick and learn something. Um, and so that's why I've even done some of these type of events with, you know, G from G's Clippers because he has a large following of black men. Um, and so again, just meeting the community where they are and trying to find, yeah, that's it. Meeting men, meeting black men where they are is how you can increase awareness of colorectal cancer. So that can be the black men in your family at the family reunion. That can be the black men that you know at the barbershop. That can be the black men that you see at the club on Friday night. Like, mm -hmm. it, it, again, it should be everyday conversation, not just something that comes up when someone famous passes away from it. Awesome. And it sounds like you are going in non-traditional places. You're, you're meeting them where they are rather than come hither, come to us. You, you need us. And I think that's so important because this is not talked about enough in our communities. And I just want to say again, if you have additional questions, if you want additional information, or if you want to get in contact with Dr. Rogers on his platform, um, go to crrogersphd.com. Is that right? crrogersphd.com. That's, that's right. And I think there's, there's also going to be a link on the webpage afterwards somewhere you can confirm for this uh PBS town hall special I co-wrote and co-produced a few years ago that mm -hmm. was focused on colorectal cancer in the black community because the rates have been so poor among black individuals so people feel free to check that out too you'll you'll learn a lot more you'll learn a lot more than you did today Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, I want to thank you, Dr. Rogers, for joining us today. We appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about this very important topic and all the work you do, not just here in our home state of Wisconsin, but truly across the country um, to inspire, influence, and to really help with prevention of colorectal cancer. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. Yes. And folks out there in the interwebs, if we did not get to your question, feel free to send me a note to conversations at mcw.edu. That's conversations at mcw, as in Medical College of Wisconsin.edu. And I hope you all enjoy um, our coffee conversations with scientists, and we look forward to seeing you next time.
Have a great day. The Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversations with Scientists is sponsored by the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment. Coffee Conversations with Scientists occur monthly as Facebook Live events and are produced by the Medical College of Wisconsin. We hope you join us next month for another virtual coffee break and a conversation with a scientist.